Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Spark. With us today is Sarah Wyant, and she is the founder and president at AgriPulse Communications. Sarah is an entrepreneur that took her career in journalism and politics and turned it into a very successful ag policy news juggernaut in Washington, D.C. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Can you tell our Spark audience where AgriPulse is right now and your plans for the future? Well, thank you, Sarah, for this opportunity, and um, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you and your audience. AgriPulse is on a strong growth curve right now. As uh, you know, we started in 2004 as an electronic publication after building on my publishing career prior to that time. We currently have over 5,000 subscribers that are paid, so we have a paid circulation business. We also have a website with some free and some paid content, and we continue to develop new products. So starting with the newsletter only, Uh, 16-page electronic newsletter in 2004. We've added the Daily Harvest a few years ago, which is an early morning news scan of headlines from AgriPulse writers as well as from other major news outlets that are covering ag, energy, food, nutrition, international trade, and uh, other sorts of ag-related issues like immigration So we give people an early scan of all the major headlines each morning. And even prior to that, last year we launched AgriPulse Daybreak, which is a preview of what's happening on Capitol Hill that's published 46 weeks out of the year. Uh, We also have started to uh, enter into more multimedia outlets in terms of offering more videos, more audio. Uh, We did a big event this year on the Farm Bill a big uh, summit in Washington, D.C. at the Washington Press Club, which you were uh, part of. And uh, we're going to continue to do uh, a wide variety of content offerings throughout these different mediums. So I I believe that uh, AgriPulse content will continue to grow not only in quality and volume, but in the types of different ways in which we're distributing it. I really did feel privileged to attend that session on the Farm Bill and I could not take notes fast enough. That was just really informative and just a great little window into where we're going to be heading with that. And, you know, I guess I would encourage our audience to really understand that if you want to know how this is all going to work and come together, um, AgriPulse is going to be your source for all that information. So can you you kind of talk a little bit about um, just the business end of of running this company and and how you you had just talked, you know, mentioned before uh, during our pre-call about getting ready for the future and some planning that you're doing, some strategic planning? We just completed today an an all-day circulation meeting, and I'd have to say that's been one of the biggest differences in starting a company when you're the sole employee working out of your home and now having not a huge staff, but we have six here and six in D.C. and then contractors all around the country that work for us just trying to manage everything, and every so often you need to bring them together and just have them all in one room talking about, okay, this is what each different person can bring to the table, and how do we think collectively about 
growth opportunities. Uh, as I mentioned, we're a, a paid circulation model, which is different from my early career. And so I think that's the way that more news outlets are going to be going in the future. Uh, people are going to be looking for quality content and staying away from that fake news, hopefully. Yep. Yep. And it really comes down to you get what you pay for. You know, if, if, if you've got a talented team providing this information, then how do we best promote it? How do we monetize it? Uh, how do we uh, look for continued growth opportunities? And so we spend probably a lot more of my time now on managing the business, looking at financials, looking at open rates and, uh, you know, page views and unique visitors, time on site, stats that didn't even exist when I started my career. <laughs> um, but now they're crucial to trying to understand who's reading what, when, and how. That's just a great little snapshot of what it's like to move from being someone that produces content, things like that, to actually running the business end of it. And I Mm-hmm. I guess I want our audience to think about that when you're, even when you're just starting out in school, kind of be open to what you're learning because you may have to wear a lot of hats depending on what you do. Well, you really do. And in fact, we had a conversation. I'm in the process of hiring a, a new executive assistant. And someone said, well, what do you want them to be able to do? And I, I said, well, here's the basics. But then there are times when, and, and I think this is very common for a lot of startups, uh, you you have to be willing to do almost everything in terms of, you know, a late-breaking story, you got to write it, you've got, um, you know, taxes that need to be paid, you have to make sure you've got good legal advice if you're doing anything on copyright. I mean, you, you, ha- you do have to wear a lot of different hats. But I bet a nickel you wouldn't trade what you're doing for the world right now. I wouldn't. I love what I do, and I love our team, um, and I, um, you know, the the deadline pressures uh, are, are something that just keep you going, uh, sometimes in hours of the night that you wish they wouldn't. But, uh, uh, you know, it's such a pleasure to be able to help empower other people with good quality content so they know what's happening around the globe and agriculture. And so we, we feel very passionate about what we do. So can we look back a little bit and would you talk about how your your early life and how things started out for you so that we can kind of plot your path for your career? Sure. Um, I am from a farm in Iowa. My family still farms there. And I have often told some folks about a photo that sits in my office, which was one of my first sort of uh, aha moments. My grandfather uh, used to tease me a little bit, but I think it was a very good message. I had uh, uh, Shetland ponies uh, and like many kids on the farm, you know, that's your first horse. And mine had a colt. And uh, when it was first born, my grandpa would say, now, Sarah, if you could just lift that horse, your colt, you can do anything in life you want to do. And so at five years old, uh, I've got this photo of me holding my colt up, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and uh, I, I just keep it in front of me because it's a good reminder of uh, not really having any barriers in your mind. I mean, he told me there's really nothing that could stop me, and obviously I couldn't lift it once it got a lot bigger, but the attitude of uh, of being invincible uh, stuck with me in a lot of ways. It, it wasn't about thinking of things you couldn't do. It was like, why not try it and see if you can? And I think that was a a really early lesson that stuck with me as I was 
going into journalism, first in high school, editing a student paper. No one in my family was a journalist, and and, uh, so there really wasn't any role model from a family perspective. There wasn't even a newspaper in high school when I started, and I knew I wanted to write and to study, and so I was fortunate to have good teachers and those who could kind of point me in the right direction of what might be continuing education opportunities for me. I went to Iowa State uh, primarily because I liked their opportunities to do a lot of different forms of journalism as part of your extracurricular activities, and also because I lived too close to the University of Iowa to feel like I was really going away from home. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I thought that was a good choice, and, and, and I still feel that uh, Iowa State it gave me a very good, well-rounded education and a chance to kind of meld my interest in agriculture and in writing uh, by working on a student magazine there uh, called the Iowa Agriculturist. I did not go to ag communication school. I went to journalism school, but um, that was an option for me to work on that, as well as the Iowa State Daily, the student newspaper, the bomb, which was the uh, yearbook. Uh, there were just a lot of different things, and I wanted to try them all, and I kind of focused on uh, magazine as a as a really place where I wanted to hone in, and, and that served me well. Uh, plus an internship while I was in college uh, with Wallace's Farmer, part of the Farm Progress Group, and they were kind enough to hire me right out of school, and and that was kind of the launch of everything there. Working uh, Farm Progress had four magazines at that time, covering Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, and and uh, it was it was a really good group to join as my first job. So you were on track right from the very beginning. Did you always kind of know where you were going to be headed? I did, and I know that's kind of unique for a lot of folks. I mean, I didn't you you couldn't have told me I was in high school that I was going to work for a farm magazine, but you you certainly would have had a tough time dissuading me from my desire to go be a journalist somewhere. And I I know sometimes it takes younger people, you know, three or four tries at what kind of career they want to do, and I think that's healthy too. But I was very focused from high school on. Based on some of the other podcasts we've done, that that, that is a little bit unusual to have someone that focused. So, how do you feel like ag kind of tied into that? Did you seek that out after you'd worked on that the ag pub? Because that wasn't totally your background. It was just a straight journalism background. Journalism, and I should have mentioned I had minors in political science and English. And so I was uh, not sure I was even going to get a job. I thought that maybe I would end up teaching. Uh, I remember having two interviews when I graduated. And one was for a, a newspaper in Iowa, and the other one was with Wall as farmers. So those were my top two leads just as I was you know, interviewing outside of school. And, and keep in mind, uh, this was in 1980 when I graduated and not necessarily the best of times in American agriculture yeah. and not a, yep. not a lot of growth uh, opportunities in, in many industries at that time. And not a lot of women who were actually being hired either. When I joined Farm Progress, I was the second female editor. Would you consider that to have been a pivotal event that took off for you or was it ahead of that? Because you were just so focused Um, I'm curious about if you felt like there was an event that really turned the tide for you. The one thing that was probably instrumental in my career, uh, much to my parents' dismay, is I had this good job working for uh, these four magazines, traveling around, meeting people, loved 
love the opportunity. I was learning so much, but as as I mentioned, in the 1980s, there were a lot of dramatic things happening in agriculture. Interest rates were going sky high, sometimes over 20%. Uh, people that were, had been in agriculture for just a few years and didn't have much equity were going out of business. Some older farmers were committing suicide. It was a very, very tough time. Yep. And I was writing a few of these stories, and I thought, you know, I really just want to focus on a more limited audience. I wanted to step out and to be someone who could talk about the legislative and the regulatory issues and kind of combine that political aspect of my writing and that wasn't anything that was really going to be an opportunity in my current job. So, as I said, I talked to uh, my parents, and they're saying to me, you know, you have a great job, company car. Why are you thinking about quitting and launching your own company? Of all of our family, it seemed to me farmers are the original entrepreneurs. So, you know, I kind of threw it back at them and said, <laughs> yep. why not? Uh, what, what do I have to lose? I'm, you know, I was single and I wasn't yet married. And, and so what was going to, you know, at this, if I was going to try something, why not try it then? So I quit my job and I started the first version of AgriPulse at that time. And that would have been in 84. You were at Wallace's Farmer for three or four years? Is that about right? Yeah. Okay. So what was the first iteration of AgriPulse like? Uh, it was a newsletter that was printed at a local printer, and then I'd pick it up there and take it to the post office, and it came out every two weeks, and it was only four pages, and sold for, I think, $42 a year or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't a, a huge moneymaker right out of the box by any sense of the imagination, and um, the good news is that uh, here I am trying to launch a publication and a company, and I wanted to move to Washington, D.C., but no one would loan me any money for my business plan. And given the economic situation and probably my youth and everything else, I probably couldn't blame them looking back at it. I decided I was just going to freelance to feed my newsletter habit, so I started writing stories about some of these issues that we discussed about different hard times on the farm and and different issues and uh, started using that money to bankroll the launch of the newsletter. And it worked out pretty well. Uh, it was a, a lot of hours, but uh, I was able to do that without seeking any additional financing. And I had a great roommate from college who was working in Washington, D.C., and she had an extra couch. <laughs> so uh, we would go to receptions together and feed ourselves, as most hungry young uh, workers do in Washington, D.C., and then I'd camp out on our couch and do that every couple of, of uh, weeks a, a month, and, and that's how I started. It's kind of a humble beginning <laughs> by any extent, but it was something that just, you know, it made me think about the value of every nickel that I was going to be able to bring in and, and uh how to allocate my resources, how to allocate my time, and, and I made it work. Well, I wish our Spark audience could see what your operation is like now and could have seen what that Farm Bill event was like. How, how many people were in that room? I know there were hundreds and hundreds. We had a, a little over 400 in the room, and they stayed all day, which was also amazing. A mix of people that were Hill staff, industry folks, and, of course, 
uh, the top four principals of the House and Senate Ag Committee, all at the National Press Club, uh, a full day of discussion and speeches and interaction. It was one of those days, Sarah, where I pinched myself a couple different times because I'm looking at myself thinking, well, we've come a long ways from the couch, and <laughs> it, it's been a fun journey. Yeah, that's just such an amazing story. I, Sarah, I had no idea that that's how you had started out because I, you know, I, I just know you from the last few years of working with you on this, and it's just such an impressive story. That's a great story. I, in the course of all those things that you had, what did you feel like your biggest obstacle was, and, and what did you do to overcome it? At the time, I was trying to uh, make sure that I didn't extend myself too far so that I would not you know, be in any sort of a cash flow situation that would be harmful to the long-term uh, uh, future of the business. And so I, I guess looking back at it, I probably could have grown grown faster, and I could have done, you know, more to bring in additional resources if if I would have had some financing. But it also made me um, that much smarter about how to run a business uh, because I didn't have any, you know, I didn't I didn't have any parents in the business. I didn't have anybody that was going to back me up. Uh, so it made me more careful in, in looking at everything that I was doing, how I was doing it. And I I do think that that's been something that has been very beneficial now over the long term. So it was kind of like a little bit of school of hard knocks that nobody mm-hmm. wanted to finance you originally. Uh, and even now, I don't borrow any money because I, you know, we've been able to manage the business and, and grow to the 12 employee level with, without needing it. So I, I think it was an obstacle at first, but it turned it into an opportunity by making me a, a, a better financial manager. And even I, I'd have to say to this day, my husband has came back from his second retirement and uh, joined the business after he left uh, USDA and he, uh, He's asked me a couple times about why I've done certain things, and then he'll look at my books and say, okay, well, now, you know, I, I get <laughs> I <know>. it. <laughs> I get it, yeah. What would be really helpful to our audience is if you can give them some advice for them where they're at now. So they're just starting out. They're that, that kid that's just either in high school or just starting out in college, and what what do you think you'd share with them for advice? Uh, let the world be your, your oyster and, and just – see all the things that you possibly can and talk to the people that you are not only closest to, but if you have an opportunity to learn by visiting with someone even outside of your current sphere, um, do so. Listen, engage, network. I've been very fortunate to have a lot of women who are mentors, uh, primarily farm women who just wanted to share their stories and, and to connect with me, but also a lot of male mentors who uh, were just good enough to to, to take me aside and, and uh, you know, offer suggestions, uh, ask about, have you thought this possibility might be for you or that possibility? And also through associations, I think joining associations and Networking with others who have like-minded uh, interests is a is a great way to grow. Uh, and and at the end of the day, for me, it's a lot about relationships. Uh, I think that's why we've been able to build a brand that is 
based on balanced reporting and trusted insights. People know if you're genuine and if you're very earnest in what you want to learn and that you're willing to give back. I think those are all very important qualities that I would advise uh, others to uh, think about as they're advancing their career. That's wonderful advice. I I especially like that idea of trying to take in all the possibilities, you know, and and talk to everyone that you can. Um, Associations, you know, there are several at the high school level and at the college level for sure. Get involved. That's right. Probably a lot of the members of this audience have been active in FFA or 4-H. I was in neither of those, uh, but I was in some other organizations that touched points with those. And I was also in different journalism organizations, American Ag Editors. I was a president of that association early on in my career, very active in other associations right now, from Farm Foundation to uh, National Association of Farm Broadcasting. And I I just think it's important to try to understand other segments of the industry and, and the people that make it work. And it makes it that much more fun along the way. That's true. And I know from being on boards of a few organizations, we want young people to start joining, too. We need that fresh perspective coming in. That's one of the reasons I feel so strongly. We have a young man on our staff right now, and I'm trying to facilitate his growth through the ranks of an association. And I think it's probably one of the things that we maybe don't do enough is to make sure that there are those opportunities with people that we hire uh, that let them spread their wings with these different associations once we get them on the job for us. Do you have advice for how to find a mentor? You mentioned that you'd had several. That's an interesting question, Sarah, because I don't think I ever really went looking for one specifically, and that probably sounds odd, but I just established some relationships with some people by going to meetings, and of course, when you're a journalist, you're going to you're going to go to a meeting and you're going to be uh, talking to people who are there. But one of my early associations is with a, a farm woman who's a sod grower from Iowa. And I just started talking to her at a meeting and she would invite me to lunch. And, uh, you know, the next thing you know, we're calling her Aunt Linda. She's, you know, got my <laughs> kids on her speed dial. I've known her for years and she's just a, a, a sage advisor on almost anything I want to talk to her about from agriculture to politics to family. And that was just from a chance meeting. Um, Some of my other mentors have been people I've worked for who, again, just kind of wanted to take me under their wing and say, you know, this is, this is some of the, uh, these are some of the things that you should know about as you move along your career path. And it's not like I went looking for a mentor per se, but I always kept my eyes open for people that I thought were a good fit, that I felt comfortable sharing and they could share back. I think that's the way I've approached it most of my life. If everyone took your advice about exploring all those possibilities and talking to lots of people, that's where you'll find your mentors. That's how it worked for you. Well, I did. And I've, I've had people that have said, you know, do you want to be a mentor to someone? And I was like, yes, I'm always happy to. Uh, it's just that, you know, it, it needs to be a good fit. Not everybody just out of the blue is going to feel, you know, that they have a, a commonality. But I do think that there are there are lots of women like yourself and like me. I mean, we're certainly welcome to be uh, considered as mentors, but uh, 
I mean, I keep thinking there's probably going to be a few more that I'm going to meet that are going to be mentors to me. So, yep, <laughs> no. I think we always feel that way. There's always yeah. something to learn. Always, there really always. is, and there's so much more. And if you want to succeed in business, you have to be a continuous learner, and that's going to serve you very well. In your sphere of influence, what are you most concerned about? What are you seeing that's out there in agriculture that's that's on your radar? From a policy perspective, one of the things that I see that is most concerning is that uh, we are uh, confronting a, a lot of very, very tough decisions with perhaps not always uh, enough people empowered to um, have the information they need to to really uh, address those situations. I mean, we have some tough things going on international trade. We have some very tough issues on immigration. We have some big changes uh, with the new Trump administration on regulatory issues. And while those um, are generally viewed positively by the ag community, there's there's some longer term things that concern me that we're not thinking about in in as comprehensive fashion as we need to. One of the challenges I have as an editor and a publisher is how do we make sure that we're getting enough of the big picture out there that people need to know as well as some of what they want to know. So I could tell you that if we put an article up right now that had GMO in the headline, it would get really high readership. But if I put something up there about um, bringing jobs back to the farm and embracing rural America, it'd probably get a third of the traffic. So there's always going to be this mix that I feel committed to providing of how do we keep educating, keep people thinking about all of rural in, in, in agriculture being an important part of that, the political sphere and the influence that you can have if you have an educated base. That's kind of, I think, one of my big fears right now is how do we get enough information out there? Certainly, we know we have an engaged audience of those who are paying for us right now, but we want to broaden that and, and make sure that people know, hey, there's, there's two sides to almost every story, and let's be thinking more holistically instead of just about our siloed area of immediate concern. That was an amazing statement. And just the territory you take in uh, boggles my mind. I'm really hoping these people will check out your website, which is agra-pulse.com, uh, to start getting up to speed on all these challenges that you're seeing out there. Well, I really do feel that then, especially as, as new graduates come out of, of college and uh, attempt to tackle the world, and it it would be wonderful to have them thinking uh, about all the opportunities. But you know, if we don't have people thinking about some of these small towns and some of the the different businesses that I'm able to operate from both Washington D.C. and uh, outside of a small town of three thousand, uh, because we have good internet service, for mm -hmm. example. You know, um, Secretary Purdue said the other day, how are we going to bring folks back to the farm if their smartphones don't work? Agricultural policy is bigger than just trying to do corn production and cotton production and raise livestock. It, 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 it is a much bigger picture. The roles in agriculture touch everything that we do. And, and any role, I think this is sometime kind of, sometimes kind of lost on our uh, young people coming up, but 
any career that you think you're going to go into, you can do that in agriculture, whether it's journalism like yourself or marketing communications like what I do, being in science or in human resources or in accounting or law. You know, it's all those facets that really end up touching all of agriculture. So when you have stepped aside from your career, which will probably be decades from now, because you are one of the hardest working women I know, what is one thing that you hope people will say about you? You did just touch on one subject, and that is that I love what I do so well, and so disconnecting would probably be one of my biggest challenges, <laughs> because when when some, uh, when I have a terrific team that is taking off a lot of the load, but when something comes in in the middle of the night or You've got a farm bill extension uh, that uh, is going in past midnight on uh, New Year's Eve, and you're still on the phone talking to people trying to find out what's going on. You know, you do have those times, and you're thinking, okay, really? Couldn't this have happened at noon? If there is, is something that I would hope that people would take home from me, it is that not not just the hard work, but that... Um, Really, the the care and the balance that I've always strived for in, in providing quality editorial content. It's all about empowerment at the end of the day. It's about someone who is either listening to this or reading something that we wrote um, that thinks, you know, maybe I can try that. And maybe I'm a little bit smarter because I took an idea home from that. Or maybe I have a better understanding of why these two associations are going at it in a not-so-nice way because of something I read. But they're not going to think that it's a one-sided, one-party, one-trade organization. They're going to remember that AgriPulse stands for the the balance and, and the care for our community and trying to lift up others. You are just such a critical piece. What you've built in terms of AgriPulse is a critical piece of information for anyone involved in ag, and we're glad you're out there, Sarah. One last question for you. That's the question that no one asks you, but you have a great answer to, and you'd love to share with our Spark audience. I guess that is uh, maybe what I do for fun and and that is um, I'm a water person if you would follow my career you will know that I have lived either near a river or a lake for almost all of my time um, after I first started AgriPulse the farthest I ever got away from wine was my first four years out of college when I lived in Des Moines but since that time, I'm near water because I love to swim, I love to boat, I love to paddleboard, sail, you name it. I do some of my best thinking when I'm in the water. Well, that was two things I didn't know about you then, Sarah. I didn't know about starting out just freelancing to support your your AgriPulse habit, and I didn't know you loved the water. So learn something new about you. I'm looking at it as we speak, but it's a little oh, bit chilly right now. <laughs> I, I've heard you live in a pretty spectacular place with a great view. So well, we're, we're very blessed. Thank you, Sarah, for your time. I want to just thank you again for the opportunity and for what you're doing to try to help others as they uh, start and advance their careers, Sarah. I think it's a fantastic effort, and I applaud you for everything you're doing along that line. Well, thanks for being part of it, and I'm going to remind our audience of just one little thing that you said at the very beginning, and I think maybe this was some advice you'd gotten from your family. Don't create barriers in your mind. I think that was a great piece of advice, and I guess that would 
be the closing thought for our Spark podcast today. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.